Chapter Nine of the Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine. A turning point. Mark came down to the little back parlour at Malakoff Terrace one dull January morning to find the family already assembled there, with the exception of Mrs. Ashburn, who was breakfasting in bed, an unusual indulgence for her. Mark said Trixie as she leaned back in her chair and put up her face for his morning greeting there's a letter for you on your plate it was not difficult to observe a suppressed excitement amongst all the younger members of his family concerning this letter they had finished their breakfast and fallen into some curious speculations as to mark's correspondent before he came in now three pairs of eyes were watching him as he strolled up to his seat mr ashburn alone seemed unconscious or indifferent of late mark had not had very many letters and this particular one bore the name of chilton and floodgate on the flap of the envelope the ashburns were not a literary family but they knew this as the name of a well-known firm of publishers and it had roused their curiosity mark read the name too for a moment it gave him a throb of excitement the idea coming to him that somehow the letter concerned his own unfortunate manuscripts it was true that he had never had any communication with this particular firm but these wild vague impressions are often independent of actual fact he took it up and half began to open it then he remembered what it probably was and partly with the object of preserving vincent's secret still as far as possible but chiefly it must be owned from a malicious pleasure he took in disappointing the expectation he saw around him put the letter still unopened in his pocket why don't you open it asked trixie impatiently who was cherishing the hope that some magnificent literary success had come at last to her favourite brother manners explained mark laconically nonsense said trixie you don't treat us with such ceremony as all that not lately said mark that's how it is it's bad for a family to get lax in these little matters of mutual courtesy i'm going to see if i can't raise your tone this is the beginning i'm sure we're very much obliged to you from martha i'm quite satisfied with my own tone it's quite high enough for me thank you yes i forgot said mark i've heard it very high indeed sometimes i wronged you martha still you know we might all except you martha be more polite to one another without causing ourselves any internal injury mightn't we well mark said trixie all you have to do is to ask our leave to open the letter if you're really so particular is that in the etiquette book inquired mark don't be ridiculous why don't you ask our leave i suppose because i want to eat my breakfast nothing is so prejudicial my love to the furtherance of the digestive process as the habit of reading at meals any medical man will tell you that perhaps suggested martha mark has excellent reasons for preferring to read his letter alone do you know martha said mark i really think there's something in that so do i said martha more than you would care for us to know evidently but don't be afraid mark whether it's a bill or a love letter or another publisher's rejection we don't want to know your secrets do we cuthbert very amiable of you to say so said mark 
then i shan't annoy you if i keep my letter to myself shall i because i rather thought of doing it eh doing what what is mark saying about a letter broke in mr ashburn he had a way of striking suddenly like this into conversations somebody has written me a letter father said mark i was telling martha i thought i should read it presently but even when he was alone he felt in no hurry to possess himself of the contents i expect it's the usual thing he thought poor vincent is out of all that now let's see how they let him down and he read dear sir we have read the romance entitled glamour which you have done us the honour to forward some time since it is a work which appears to us to possess decided originality and merit and which may be received with marked favour by the public while it can hardly fail in any case to obtain a reception which will probably encourage its author to further efforts of course there is a certain risk attending its reception which renders it impossible for us to offer such terms for a first book as may be legitimately demanded hereafter for a second production by the same pen we will give you and here followed the terms which struck mark as fairly liberal for a first book by an unknown author should you accept our offer will you do us the favour to call upon us here at your earliest convenience when all preliminary matters can be discussed we are etc chilton and fladgate mark ran hurriedly through this letter with a feeling first of incredulous wonder then of angry protest against the bull-headed manner in which fortune had dealt out this favour vincent had been saved the dreary delays the disappointments and discouragements which are the lot of most fine books he had won a hearing at once and where was the use of it no praise or fame among men could reach him now if he had been alive mark thought bitterly if a letter like this would have rescued him from all he detested and thrown open to him the one career for which he had any ambition he might have waited for it long and vainly enough but he began by being indifferent and if fortune had required any other inducement to shower her gifts on him his death had supplied it he chafed over this as he went up to the city for there was another holiday class that day at st peter's he thought of it at intervals during the morning and always resentfully what increased his irritation above everything was the fact that the publishers evidently regarded him as the author of the book and he would have the distasteful task put upon him of enlightening them when the day's duties were over he found himself putting on his hat and coat in company with the reverend mr shelford who was also in charge of one of the classes formed for the relief of parents and the performance of holiday work and the two walked out together mark intending to call at once and explain his position to messrs chilton and fladgate what are you going to do with yourself ashburn now said mr shelford in his abrupt way as they went along going to be a schoolmaster and live on the crambe repetita all your life eh i don't know said mark sullenly very likely take my advice i'm old enough to offer it unasked give yourself a chance while you can of a future which won't cramp and sour and wear you as this will if you feel any interest in the boys which i don't put in mark exactly which you don't but if you did i remember i did once in some of em and helped em on and spoke to the headmaster about em and so on well they'll pass out of your class and look another way 
when they meet you afterwards as for the dullards they'll always be with you like the poor down at the bottom like a sediment sir and much too heavy to stir up i can't imagine them now my temper gets the better of me god forgive me for it and i say things i'm sorry for and that don't do me or them any good and they laugh at me but i've got my parish to look after and it's not a large one but it acts as an antidote you're not even in orders so there's no help for you that way and the day will come when the strain gets too much for you and you'll throw the whole thing up in disgust and find yourself forced to go through the same thing somewhere else or begin the world in some other capacity choose some line in which hard work and endurance for years will bring you in a more substantial reward than that well said mark for whom this gloomy view of his prospects reflected his own forebodings i am reading for the bar i went up for my call examination the other day ah is that so i'm glad to hear of it a fine profession sir constant variety and excitement for the pleader that is to say mr shelford shared the lay impression that pleading was a form of passionate appeal to judge and jurymen and of course you would plead in court the law has some handsome prizes at its disposal too but you should have an attorney or two to push you on they say perhaps you can count on that i wish i could said mark but the fact is my ambition doesn't lie in a legal direction at all i don't care very much about the bar do you care very much about anything does your ambition lie anywhere not now it did once literature you know but that's all over i remember to be sure they rejected that christmas piece of yours didn't they well if you've no genuine talent for it the sooner you find it out the better for you if you feel you've something inside of you that you must out in chapters and volumes it generally comes and all the discouragement in the world won't keep it down it's like those stories of demoniacal possession in the anatomy you know your burton i dare say some of the possessed brought globes of hair and such like baggage out of themselves but others stones with inscriptions if the demon gets too strong for you try and produce a stone with a good readable inscription on it not three globes of hair for the circulating libraries we shall see said mark laughing i must leave you here i have an appointment with chilton and flagate just by ay ay said the old gentleman wagging his head publishers aren't they don't tell me your ambition's dead if it's taken you as far as that but i won't ask any more questions i shall hope to be able to congratulate you shortly i won't keep you away from your publishers any longer they're not my publishers yet said mark they have made me some proposals but i have not accepted them at present he knew what a false impression this would leave with his companion bare statement of fact as it was but he made it deliberately feeling almost as much flattered by the unconscious increase of consideration in the other's voice and manner as if there had been the slightest foundation for it they said good-bye and the old clergyman went on and was swallowed up in the crowd thinking as he went publishing eh a good firm too i don't think he could afford to do it at his own expense perhaps there's more ballast in him after all than i gave him credit for i can't help liking the young fellow somehow too i should like to see him make a good start mark having sent up his name by one of the clerks behind the imposing mahogany counters was shown through various swinging doors into a waiting-room where the magazines and books symmetrically arranged on the table gave a certain flavour of dentistry to the place mark turned them over with a quite unreasonable nervousness 
but the fact was he shrank from what he considered the humiliation of explaining that he was a mere agent it occurred to him for the first time too that holroyd's death might possibly complicate matters and he felt a vague anger against his dead friend for leaving him in such a position the clerk returned with a message that mr fladgate would be happy to see mark at once and so he followed upstairs and along passages with glimpses through open doors of rooms full of clerks and desks until they came to a certain room into which mark was shown a small room with a considerable litter of large wicker trays filled with proofs packets and rolls of manuscripts of all sizes and piles of books and periodicals in the midst of which mr fladgate was sitting with his back to the light which was admitted through windows of ground glass he rose and came forward to meet mark and mark saw a little reddish-haired and whiskered man with quick eyes and a curious perpendicular fold in the forehead above a short blunt nose a mobile mouth and a pleasantly impulsive manner how do you do mr beecham he said heartily using the nom de plume with an air of implied compliment and so you've made up your mind to entrust yourself to us have you that's right i don't think you'll find any reason to regret it i don't indeed mark said he was sure of that well now as to the book continued mr fladgate i've had the pleasure of looking through it myself as well as mr blackshaw our reader and i must tell you that i agree with him in considering that you have written a very remarkable book as we have told you you know it may or may not prove a pecuniary success but however that may be my opinion of it will remain the same it ought in my judgment to ensure you a certain standing at once at once mark heard this with a pang of jealousy long before he had dreamed of just such an interview in which he should be addressed in some such manner his dream was being fulfilled now with relentless mockery but there is a risk said mr fladgate a decided risk which brings me to the subject of terms are you satisfied with the offer we made to you you see that a first book excuse me for one moment said mark desperately i'm afraid you imagine that-that i wrote the book that certainly was my impression said mr fladgate with a humorous light in his eye the only address on the manuscript was yours and i came to the not unnatural conclusion that mr ashburn and mr beecham were one and the same am i to understand that is not the case the book said mark what it cost him to say this the book was written by a friend of mine who went abroad some time ago indeed well we should prefer to treat with him in person of course if possible it isn't possible said mark my friend was lost at sea but he asked me to represent him in this matter and i believe i know his wishes i've no doubt of it but you see mr mr ashburn this must be considered a little i suppose you have some authority from him in writing to satisfy us merely as a matter of business that we are dealing with the right person i have not indeed said mark my friend was very anxious to retain his incognito he must have been very much so said mr fladgate coughing well perhaps you can bring me some writing of his to that effect you may have it among your papers eh no said mark my friend did not think it necessary to give me one he was anxious to uh, quite so 
"'Then you can procure me a line or two, perhaps?' "'I told you that my friend was dead,' said Mark, a little impatiently. "'Ah, so you did, to be sure. I forgot. I thought—but no matter. Well, Mr. Ashburn, if you can't say anything more than this, anything you understand, which puts you in a position to treat with us, I'm afraid—I'm afraid I must ask time to think over this. If your friend is really dead, I suppose your authority is determined. Perhaps, however, his <clears throat> anxiety to preserve his incognito has led him to allow this rumour of his death to be circulated. I don't think that is likely, said Mark, wondering at an undercurrent of meaning in the publisher's tone, a meaning which had nothing sinister in it, and yet seemed urging him to contradict himself for some reason. That is your last word, then? said Mr. Fladgate and there was a sharp inflection as of disappointment and irritation in his voice, and the fold in his forehead deepened. "'It must be,' said Mark, rising. "'I have kept you too long already.' "'If you really must go,' said Mr. Fladgate, not using the words in their conventional sense of polite dismissal. "'But, Mr. Ashburn, are you quite sure that this interview might not be saved from coming to nothing, as it seems about to do?' "'Might not a word or two from you set things right again? "'I don't wish you to tell me anything you would rather keep concealed. "'But really, this story you tell me about a Mr. Vincent Beecham, who is dead, "'only ties our hands, you understand. Ties our hands!' "'If so,' said Mark uncomfortably, "'I can only say I am very sorry for it. "'I don't see how I can help it.' He was beginning to feel that this business of Holroyd's had given him quite enough trouble. Now, Mr. Ashburn, as I said before, I should be the last man to press you. But really, you know, really, this is a trifle absurd. I think you might be a little more frank with me. I do, indeed. There is no reason why you should not trust me. Was this man tempting him, thought Mark? Could he be so anxious to bring out this book? that he was actually trying to induce him to fabricate some story which would get over the difficulties that had arisen? As a mere matter of fact, it may be almost unnecessary to mention that no such idea had occurred to worthy Mr. Fladgate, who, though he certainly was anxious to secure the book if he could, by any legitimate means, was anything but a publishing Mephistopheles. He had an object, however, in making this last appeal for confidence, as will appear immediately. But, innocent as he was, Mark's imagination conjured up a bland demon, tempting him to some act of unspeakable perfidy. He trembled, but not with horror. "'What do you mean?' he stammered. Mr. Fladgate gave a glance of keen amusement at the pale, troubled face of the young man before him. "'What do I mean?' he repeated. Come, I've known sensitive women try to conceal their identity, and even their sex, from their own publishers. I've known men even persuade themselves they didn't care for notoriety. But such a determined instance of what I must take leave to call the literary ostrich, I don't think I ever did meet before. I never met a writer so desperately anxious to remain unknown that he would rather take his manuscript back than risk his secret with his own publisher. "'But don't you see that you have raised—I don't use the term in the least offensively—the mask, so to speak. You should have sent somebody else here today if you wished to keep me in the dark. 
"'I've not been in business all these years, Mr. Ashburn, without gaining a little experience. "'I think, I do think, I'm able to know an author when I see him. "'We are all liable to error, but I am very much mistaken if this Mr. Vincent Beecham, "'who was so unfortunately lost at sea, is not to be recovered alive by a little judicious dredging. "'Do think if you can't produce him. Come, he's not in very deep water.' "'Bring him up, Mr. Ashburn, bring him up!' "'You make this very difficult for me,' said Mark, in a low voice. He knew now how greatly he had misjudged the man, who had spoken with such an innocent, amiable pride in his own surprising discernment. He also felt how easy and how safe it would be to take advantage of this misunderstanding, and what a new future it might open to him but he was struggling still against the temptation so unconsciously held out to him. "'I might retort that, I think. "'Now, be reasonable, Mr. Ashburn. "'I assure you the writer, whoever he may be, "'has no cause to be ashamed of the book. "'The time will come when he will probably be willing enough to own it. "'Still, if he wishes to keep his real name secret, "'I tell him, through you, that he may surely be content to trust that to us. "'We have kept such secrets before.' not very long to be sure as a general rule but then that was because the authors usually relieved us from the trouble the veil was never lifted by us i think you said began mark as if thinking aloud that other works by by the same author would be sure of acceptance i should be very glad to have an opportunity in time of producing another book by mr vincent beecham but mr beecham as you explained is unhappily no more perhaps these are earlier manuscripts of his mark had been seized with the desire of making one more attempt in spite of his promise to his uncle to launch those unhappy paper ships of his sweet bells jangled and one fair daughter for an instant it occurred to him that he might answer this last question in the affirmative he had little doubt that if he did his books would meet with a very different reception from that of messrs leadbitter and gandy still that would only benefit holroyd not himself and then he recollected only just in time that the difference in handwriting which was very considerable would betray him he looked confused and said nothing mr fladgate's patience began to tire we don't seem to be making any way do we he said with rather affected pleasantry i'm afraid i must ask you to come to a decision on this without any more delay here is the manuscript you sent us if the real author is dead we are compelled to return it with much regret if you can tell me anything which does away with the difficulty this is the time to tell it of course you will do exactly as you please but after what you have chosen to tell us we can hardly see our way as i said to treat you without some further explanation "'Come, Mr. Ashburn, am I to have it or not?' "'Give me a little time,' said Mark faintly, and the publisher, as he had expected, read the signs of wavering in his face, though it was not of the nature he believed it to be. Mark sat down again and rested his chin on his hand, with his face turned away from the other's eyes. A conflict was going on within him, such as he had never been called upon to fight before and he had only a very few minutes allowed him to fight it. Perhaps in these crises a man does not always arrange pros and cons to contend for him in the severely logical manner with which we find him doing it in print. 
the forces on the enemy's side can generally be induced to desert all the advantages which would follow if he once allowed himself to humour the publisher's mistake were very prominently before mark's mind the dangers and difficulties kept in the background he was incapable of considering the matter coolly he felt an overmastering impulse upon him and he had never trained himself to resist his impulses for very long there was very little of logical balancing going on in his brain it began to seem terribly fatally easy to carry out this imposition the fraud itself grew less ugly and more harmless every instant he saw his own books so long kept out in the cold by ignorant prejudice accepted on the strength of holroyd's glamour and once fairly before the public taking the foremost rank in triumph and rapidly eclipsing their forerunner he would be appreciated at last delivered from the life he hated able to lead the existence he longed for all he wanted was a hearing there seemed no other way to obtain it he had no time to lose how could it injure holroyd he had not cared for fame in life would he miss it after his death the publishers might be mistaken the book might be unnoticed altogether he might prove to be the injured person but as mr fladgate seemed convinced of its merit as he would evidently take anything alleged to come from the same source without a very severe scrutiny there was nothing for it but to risk this contingency mark was convinced that publishers were influenced entirely by unreasoning prejudices he thoroughly believed that his works would carry all before them if any firm could once overcome their repugnance to his powerful originality and here was one firm at least prepared to lay that aside at a word from him why should he let it go unsaid the money transactions caused him the most hesitation if he took money for another man's work there was a name and a very ugly name for that but he would not keep it as soon as he learnt the names of holroyd's legal representatives whoever they might be he would pay the money over to them without mentioning the exact manner in which it had become due in time when he had achieved a reputation for himself he could give back the name he had borrowed for a time at least he told himself he could do so he stood in no danger of detection or if he did it was very slight vincent was not the man to confide in more than one person he had owned as much he had been reticent enough to conceal his real surname from his publishers and now he could never reveal the truth all this rushed through his mind in a hurried confused form all his little vanities and harmless affectations and encouragements of false impressions had made him the less capable of resisting now well said mr fladgate at last mark's heart beat fast he turned round and faced the publisher i suppose i had better trust you he said awkwardly and with a sort of shamefaced constraint that was admirably in keeping with his confession though not artificial i think so then you are the man this book glamours your own work if you must have it yes said mark desperately the words were spoken now and for good or ill he must abide by them henceforth to the end End of chapter 9